You're listening to DraftKings Network. Welcome to the Too Many Men podcast. I'm Sarah Sivian from The Athletic, and along with my colleague Shana Goldman and Allison Lucan of the Seattle Kraken, we're here to talk about all levels of hockey and honestly just break down what's on our minds about pretty much anything. We also try to smile more, and Allison wants me to come up with some sort of transition that's wittier than come along for the ride, but come along for the ride. <laughs> Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Too Many Men podcast. My name is Allison. I'm a contributor for the Seattle Kraken and an on-air analyst for Root Sports Northwest. As always, I am joined by the clever, the insightful, the multi-team focused, and some of the best specs in the league, Sarah Sivian. Sarah, how are you doing? I didn't know which way that one was going to go. Uh, I am I am okay. I'm glad I have a few days in between round one and round two. That's always the, the Boston Carolina always takes a lot out of me, you know. It's, it's a big emotional pull for you because if our listeners don't know, tell them why that's, that's, a, that's a big yeah. series. I'm from Boston. My brother's wedding was in the days in between in Boston. And then it was like my, uh, now round two, my, we'll get to that, but my other brother's in New York. So I... Never get a break from these rats. So, so you're basically saying this is the playoffs brought to you by the Sivian fam. Yeah. Is what we're having. Yeah, okay, yeah. perfect. Perfect. Well, certainly not to be denied. The Hockey Fantasy Writer of the Year. The fullest, most beautiful waves of hair and glorious color in the league. And one of the most prolific writers you should read every word she writes, both previewing and recapping everything that's happening in these playoffs. Shana Goldman. Shana, say hi. Hi, your check's in the mail. <laughs> <laughs> well, my friends, we are, again, so happy to be here. We are so happy to be part of the Lebatard Network. And friends, um, we just are so thankful to all of you for your support and checking in on us. We're going to continue to be with you through these playoffs. But before we can get to those hockey breakdowns, it would not be too many men if we didn't start. It's not our fault, folks. These people demand it. They make us talk about this. It's time for the shit list. And this week's, this episode's shit list nominee is Mike Babcock. Sarah, tell us what's going on. Well, I feel like maybe it's Babcock by proxy. He didn't ask to be, I guess Lou Lamorello is the shit list, but I guess they can, I mean, I'm never going to take Babcock off the shit list at this point. He is, I guess the coaching search, because for some reason they fired Barry Trotz in, on the island. Maybe Shayna can help us with that one. And then as they're looking for a new coach, I guess we have to recycle the same two people. So Babcock's in who knows where Canada, Sask right now, like coaching some D-level college club team. And now he's just going to get right back into the NHL. And folks, this isn't confirmed. Our dear colleague, Kevin Kurz, is correctly speculating that maybe old friend Babcock and Lamorello will get together for this because as we remember Lamorello wants a new voice in the locker room um so one that makes Mitch Marner cry every day will do it <laughs> yeah and again of course he's Mike Babcock has been so busy he still has yet to apologize for anything that has <laughs> yeah, gone on he's in his doing coaching so career. much in Saskatchewan <laughs> <laughs> doesn't have the time not even 
on the prairie. Shayna, your thoughts on the rumored reports, first of all, of there being an opening in general on the island, on the island, and Mike Babcock being a possible candidate to, you know, bring that fresh new voice, one of the most innovative new faces in NHL coaching today. Took the words right out of my mouth. I mean, you want innovation, you're going to look to Mike Babcock, because only 35 people can coach in the NHL, as we know. Um, With the opening on the island, it's, it makes sense and it doesn't. I can see why you want a new voice. Like, you do need offense, and Barry Trotz, as good of a coach as he is, he comes in, he does his job, and it does run a cycle. Um, I know he was with Nashville for a century and a half, and that, you know, sure, but with Washington and with the Islanders, that's definitely the case. So he came and he brought the structure to a team that needs it, but, like, they need more offense. And it it's on the players, sure, but obviously there's only so much that they can do if you want Barzell to focus on defense and things like that. Um of course, then the conversation is like, well, did he talk to the players? And maybe they said something in their exit interviews, but Lula Amarillo does not have the time of day to talk to players because that would have, like, require having respect for them, which it does not appear he does. This is, you know, a general manager that makes you shave your beard and he'll change your number without permission if you're a young player because you're not deemed to have, like, a high enough number. He's as old school as it gets. And I think the important thing to remember at Lamarello as well is, like, you know how we all, like, not we, but you know how people look at Kyle Dubas, like, this is the nerd coming in, he's not a hockey man, whatever. Like, Lamorello was that in, you know, the 90s when he took over. And he did things very old school then, and it, it, it holds true now, and he has not adapted his ways, and everyone's like, oh, but he's a hockey man, and it's fine. Um, so while there was some grounds to fire Trotz, he also gave him a crappy roster to work with because he traded away players like Nick Letty, Devin Taves, and uh, got rid of Jordan Everly for nothing and expected the team to be fine and, you know, brought in a shit ton of bottom six players. The If he were to go for Babcock, it totally makes sense because he has a tendency to reach into the same pool of people, particularly when it comes to his players. I would be curious if it's Babcock, who he worked with in Toronto, or Pete DeBoer, if he becomes available, you know, with the Golden Knights. But should he, should he be looking at Babcock? And we're not saying... He can't get a second chance. We're saying that he has not done anything to show that he deserves it. And the last time I read something on him, I can't remember where it was, he seemed like he did nothing wrong. No apologies, no nothing. So, no, you don't deserve a chance to coach at the NHL level, even though you've been there before, because that should be, you know, there should be some importance to that. There's 32 jobs, and that's it as a head coaching job, and you should earn it. Allison, can we off the cuff name three people that aren't in the coaching pool that we always pull from that we think deserves a chance? Uh, you know, I would love to see, and I've obviously had bias. I've, I really think that Brad Shaw, who's been an assistant coach with Vancouver, he's been in Columbus. He was the architect of the most um, potent power kill of the recent hockey era. Um, I think he deserves a look. I think he deserves a consideration. Uh, that'd be my that'd be my nomination. Sarah, who do you pick? Yeah, I agree with that. Um, I like Ryan Warsawski from down in the AHL. He's had multiple successful teams, and he's had. He's jumped from different teams and has made it work. I mean, Andrew Podorowski's getting a 100-point season, so that's not really all Ryan. But I do think he has made the most of all of his situations, and he's been – players love him. That matters for something, I guess. Shana, you have a pick? I do want to see what Lane Lambert does on his own because he's been paired with Trotz in Nashville, Washington, with the Islanders, and I am intrigued to see what he can bring. But, like – if you talked about the coaching Game of Thrones, I do look at it and I'm like, I could see that argument. But I'm also like, if you just fired Trotz, who worked with Lambert forever, do you think he's going to turn around and want to coach the team and just screw over someone that has given him every opportunity? I do want to see him go to a team like Detroit. I think that'd be really intriguing. 
So yes, and I would be remiss if I didn't point out, I'd love to see us mentioning women's names in that list soon. I think we're starting to see women in coaching situations, but of course it's going to take time as they build up their experience and you just got to give those opportunities at all levels. It certainly is not a conscious want for us not to be able to name women or people of color to be considered for those positions. But here we are. Welcome, Mike Babcock. We, would have, we might have to go back and count. He might be one of our leading point getters for panels. I, know. I feel like it's them and the Sabres. Babcock and the Sabres, headlighting the list. Who wants to win it? All right. Well, hockey has happened. We've made it through round one, which is just like, I don't know, driving at a bazillion miles an hour on the Audubon without a seatbelt. But here we are. We have now just eight teams left. And before we get into round two, we do want to look back at the remaining seven rounds that were in question the last time we spoke with you all, we're going to go through and just each of us quickly give our kind of highlight thought on the series. It might be a big takeaway. It might be a theme. And then a thought on the team that has left us for the 2021-22 season. We'll start with Washington, Florida. That series closes out in six. We find out that Washington was significantly injured at the end of that series. No Tom Wilson. Other players facing big choices at the end of this season for their career. Florida advances. Sarah, your takeaway thought and your thought on Washington from the Washington Panthers series. Um, I think it's kind of a gut check for the Panthers and they survived the gut check. But at the same time, the Capitals were injured and it doesn't look like the Lightning are that injured. I mean, Braden Point, we'll see what's really going on with that. But it's only going to get tougher from here for the Panthers. That's my takeaway. And any thoughts on Washington as they head off to the golf course? Sorry. Uh, I, it's a shame. I want to see what Alex Ovechkin could have done, but next season. Shayna. Um, I think something important to take away from Florida is they do need more from their star players. They need more from Jonathan Huberdeau. Sam Bennett didn't have a great series. The third line, you know, struggled a lot without Mason Marchment. And the defense, I'm a big fan of Mackenzie Weger, but, like, I don't know what happened in that series. So they had to break apart Ekblad Weger and now Ben Schrott's on the top pair. But I think we have to highlight Carter Verhage, the real MVP of that series. And it's so important to see a player like that. Like, this is Jonathan March, so part two. So important to have, you know, data-driven minds in your front office to find those hidden gems. Can't stress that enough because none of us would be here talking about Carter Verhage and now he gets to play his former team. And for the Capitals, my biggest question is what they're going to do with their goaltending situation. If I remember correctly, they're both restricted free agents and neither one is super spectacular. You have, like, an okay goalie on one side and then you have... A goalie they thought was going to be great but hasn't like reached that potential on the other side i really don't know what they're gonna do maybe they can go in with another season of the two of them but i i really don't know because that roster is very unspectacular besides their top core players who are obviously aging yeah i mean for me that's going to be the thing i'm going to watch too is everyone's focused on pittsburgh as it being like the end of an era but i mean backstrom's injured tom wilson's injured there's yeah. so many people who are broken coming out of this series, Ovi was hurt, and it, was it his shoulder, yeah, that was yeah. injured? It, the Washington Capitals, as we know them, may no longer exist, so that's what I'm curious to see what happens there. Yeah, I thought that was going to be this year, but Ovi just kept scoring, so who knows, yep. honestly. Well, Sarah, I, oh, sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> okay, the end of the era thing is kind of interesting. Notice, like, who's not in the playoffs now? Washington's out, Boston's out, Pittsburgh's out, L.A., Chicago. It's yeah. all those teams that were winning. Obviously, you have the back-to-back -back champions still in it, but, like, it just feels like those days of those teams, like, you're really seeing those cores. You know, the Kings are already trying to. The Blackhawks are attempting to now. But, mm -hmm. like, 
these big names that you're going to expect and everyone will look at the playoffs and be like, well, they're a favorite because we know that's Boston, that's Pittsburgh. Like, sorry, they're out in round one. We're getting older. <laughs> well, Sarah, you are over there chugging some blue Gatorade. And so I'm it's... Not, oh. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's only appropriate that we move on to the next series. Minnesota-St. Louis. I'm going to be honest. St. Louis was my pick to come out of this series all along. I really thought that it was going to be their offensive talent and their just massive, heavy style of play, even though it's quiet, that was going to overwhelm Minnesota. And they took more games than I expected, but they did win. Sarah, you're drinking blue Gatorade. Tell us about the outcome of that series for you and your takeaway on Minnesota going into the offseason. I was very wrong about this one, and I will take my L, Allison, where you take your dub. I thought... Like, every year I have a sweetheart of the first round of some random team that I like, that I want to go far, that I think can be the happy-go-lucky thing that makes a very grueling time of the year easy. And I was very, very wrong. I thought the little heart shirts with Kevin Fiala were something special. I kept clinging on to that moment, and I was very wrong. He did not show up that much. Um, it wasn't really a goaltending issue, I didn't think. There was only so much they could do. Um, my boy Kirill the Thrill was great, but it wasn't enough. So I, I now respect the Blues, you know what I mean? I don't <laughs> think I had enough respect for them before, and now I do. Shayna. The, I'm, I picked the Wild, too, and the Blues defense is a big reason why. And then throughout the series, they were literally the walking dead blue line. Like, it is wild. Every game for the first four games, they lost the defenseman, if I remember correctly. And, yep. like, they're a little healthier now, but you still look at it and it's not very inspiring. So, I mean, good for them. It's that forward depth is great. You have 920 goal scorers go off. Uh, like you said, Curl Thrill was, he was fantastic. You know, you can't complain about anything in his play. It was Kevin Fiala. So now, like, that, and he's the biggest question this offseason. Like, how do they make this cap situation work, which is about to get a lot tougher, and pay Fiala, which we already know he rejected deals that would have been a little more, I mean, team friendly, but also lucrative to him. But it looks like he wants. Forget the team-friendly side. He's going all for fucking, you know, lucrative and go off. We, I respect the player wanting to get paid, but, like, that's the big question. And a lot of teams might look at it and go, what have you done for me lately? And he did not do a lot for them lately when it mattered most. <laughs> Sarah, is Marc-Andre Fleury in a wild uniform when the puck drops next season? Yes. Ooh, Is spicy. Cam Talbot? No. There can only be one. <laughs> 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 well, speaking of there can only be one, um, there's not one series win for the Toronto Maple Leafs. <laughs> How does this affect the Leafs? How, do the How does everything affect the Leafs? Folks, I am not trying to crap on this team, but like, could there be any more of a Leaf ending than losing at games? First of all, first of all, some people suspecting a conspiracy theory that the refs actually called game six such that the Leafs could return and win on home ice game seven. And then to lose 2-1 on home ice, none of their stars, quote unquote, getting on the score sheet. Toronto is going back home. Tampa is advancing. Sarah, your thoughts? Um, there is this montage we need to find that's just like Leafs, being a Leafs fan through the years, and it was all of Steve Dangle's faces and the ones that he just looked so defeated during this game seven. It's just, they can't go to game seven next year. They just can't just fucking win it. I am so sick of this. I feel it's not like we're not trying to crap on them, but why are they like this? 
it's not our fault they're like this. And then the fans, like, I just feel, what are you doing? I, I understand it's a lifelong <laughs> fandom, but I do not want to make fun. I've made fun of Leafs fans enough. Um, I do think the conspiracies about the refs and the broadcasters, they were saying the broadcasters were in on this. They do they do not make enough money to break the law. Like, I don't know what you guys are thinking, but just admit that the team isn't the team that maybe like it's the conspiracy theory Shana was saying earlier are not usually true, but do we think this team, what do we need? What do they need to do? I mean, (laughs) there's conspiracy theories too. Like it benefits. Here's the thing. Like, if the league wanted Toronto in round two, they would not have wanted them to go to game seven because we all know what would have happened when it went to seven. You know, like you want Toronto in the postseason, you want Boston in the postseason, you want New York in the postseason, you want Chicago in the postseason, you want big markets. Okay, that's business. Um, and obviously having a game seven on a Saturday night, Sportsnet, whatever, that's important. But like, let's look at it. If the Leafs were going to win this series, they had to close it out in six. It didn't matter what happened in seven. They, they were the better team. Yes, there was a goal wiped off the board, blah, blah, blah. They were the better team. And they got Consmite Vasilevsky. That's all it comes down to. That top line was on the ice for, like, I think Matthews, it was, like, 21 shots, shot attempts for three against a five-on-five. Five. Like, there isn't much more you can ask for, especially when he got shut down earlier in the series by guys like Sorelli and Kalorn and Point. But, like, they're cursed. That's all it is. Drake did this. They are cursed. <laughs> oh, yeah. It was so presumptive to be, like, good night, Tampa. It is game oh fucking five, dude. We it all is game knew five. It. You cannot do that. You cannot do that, especially with the Leafs. Of all teams, like I'm sorry, but then, Blame Drake. but then Drake, it was revealed that he bet on them to go to a game seven, not to win. So he is a fake fan. He's a he fake got fan. his, and then he left them in the dust. And he was egging them on. He purposely cursed them so they could go to wow. game seven, so he could get wow, paid. Wow, wow, wow. The truth comes out. But no, they, if they were gonna win, it had to be in six. I don't want to yeah. look at game seven and be like, what did the Leafs do wrong? And literally, they should have closed this in six. Exactly. And I get it. And this was, like, to give them credit, this was against Lightning. This wasn't against Montreal. This is totally different. This is the best team in the league for two years. But, like, they sh- they should have closed it out in six. I'm sorry. Well, all of these balancing series did end in a game seven, just like Tampa-Toronto. And the next series that closed out after that one, Sarah, you had a front row seat Canes, Bruins, and one of the most interesting series for me in the sense that the home team always won and looked like they belonged there and then would just basically flop so ridiculously when they were on the road. Um, But Max Domi, of course, who didn't see that coming, with two goals to secure the win, a tremendous performance by Antti Ranta, and I'm in love with his little daughter in the closing interviews. But Sarah, your takeaway from Canes, Bruins, and your thoughts on the Bruins going home. It was funny because everyone was saying, oh, Bruce Cassidy's the matchup coach and Brindamore's just the player's coach. But Brindamore moved Domi up to the second line in the middle of game six. And then what happens game seven? So I give him his props in the post game for that one. I got, I had to. I feel like that we just have our narratives and we stick to them. But playoff hockey can be, it shows the true colors. And I, I am still trying to figure out what the hell happened uh, with the home ice advantage there. Because as much as we all love the fans, there's still fans on the road and they're still loud and you can pretend they're rooting for you. Like you can just be like, oh, they're cheering for me. That's what I would do. I'm delusional, but it's like, I don't think it's the fans. And in the past, it really hasn't been that way. So I'm just kind of confused about why home ice was so steep. Shayna. 
I just look at it, and I think Boston, if they really wanted to go on a run before Patrice Bergeron's contract expired, like, they should have acquired a forward. Like, that's all it comes down to. Um, because they had two options, and that was have Pashnak on the second line and have Jake DeBrus on the first line, so they have balanced scoring in the top six, and it worked for them for a lot of the regular season, and it did work for them. But, like, in this series, when they put together the perfection line, it, it did click for them, even though they weren't even at, like, their best level below the surface. They had the results. But, like, you have nothing else going on in your lineup if that's what you do. And, obviously, there were some things on the blue line and injuries and things like that, too. But, like, this is a good Boston team. It just feels like they could have punched up their forward group a little bit more to have a better chance in it. But, like, the Hurricanes were consistent. They played to their strengths. And, like, they're a very good team. They're a very aggressive team. And that, you know, you could look at it and go maybe Boston had, you know, stronger parts. But Carolina, the way that they play, and it's not just that Rod Brindamore is a systems coach. I'm sorry, player's coach. But look at the systems that the Hurricanes have. And look at their aggressive yeah. forecheck. That's how they win games. That's how they're successful in the regular season and how they were successful in the playoffs. Like, their sticks are so active. They're so good at taking away pa- passing lanes and blocking shots and, you know, stick-checking their opponents. So those are, those are like, the keys to their success. And like you mentioned, Ranta, I'm so happy for him. I can't – I don't think anyone that has covered him or watched him as a fan is upset about this result because he seems like yeah. such a wonderful person. Is Bergeron uh-huh. done, Sarah? Uh, well, you saw the bear hugs at the end of that series, not only with the Hurricanes, but with all of his own teammates. So I, that seems like the writing on the wall. I, he can do whatever he wants, but as somebody that grew up a fan of him at his peak with that whole core in 2011, I hated seeing Chara go. I get you have to do what you got to do. I'm sure Chara is going to sign a one-day contract and retire a Bruin, but... Bergeron is a legend and he's a legend in Boston and he said at the end of the regular season he was happy all 400 goals came with one team so I am going to read into that and he was not a Montreal fan growing up I know we're trying to stir that because he's from the area he was a Nordiques fan they don't exist anymore so I don't think he's going to go play for his childhood team I think he's going to retire a Bruin but is he done? (laughs) We're getting old. I don't know. I don't want to say yes. (laughs) Well, the next series that closed out after that was a Western Conference one. This series just, like, drained my soul. I'm not going to lie. Like, the last game was not necessarily the most compelling to watch. It ends with the Oilers deserving a Game 7 win. They earned it. They were the better team in that game. But Edmonton does get their round one victory. They're on to round two, beating the Kings in seven. Sarah, you were okay with it simply because of one fan. But tell us your thoughts on the hockey in the series overall. Yes. Um, Yeah, first of all, the hockey in the series overall. They finally broke the Dreisaitl-McDavid curse of when they score, they lose. So I think that was actually huge. Um, I... The Oilers, I got to hand it to them, unfortunately. It it brings me no pleasure to report that they're good. But um, now the Battle of Alberta is set, and I'm looking forward to that. I have no other takes about it except for our little fan. So for those of you who don't, yeah, for those of you who don't know, there is an adorable little boy. His name, I believe, is Ben. um, And he is going through a battle with cancer. Um, He is a bright light. He's a beautiful little sweet soul. And um, he has really just been around this team and given them a lot of motivation. So for Ben, we are happy. Shana, your thoughts on that series? Um, Yeah, I think game seven, like, let me down a little bit. I mean, it was still 
exciting in some ways, but like I think there are games earlier in the series, especially games five and six, that like those th- that's what I was hoping for, like that kind of like level. Um, the Kings just like did not have it. They created so little offense, and I mean the exciting part of it was watching Jonathan Quick and you know these acrobatic saves that we all know that like that's that's his game and that you it can burn him or it can make him thrive. Um, but the impressive thing for me is when all the pressure was up and this is a player that because of the market that he's in gets more shit than he deserves um, because we can't have nice things and we can't talk about good players being good. We have to find a way to tear them down and then pump the tires of shitty players who have intangibles and all that bullshit. Um, Connor McDavid was absolutely elite. He played you know, almost 27 minutes in all situations. He had, I have the numbers, he had one goal, one assist, 12 all-situation shot attempts, 10 scoring chances. He was on the ice for 40 shot attempts for at 5-on-5. Not all situations, just 5-on-5. And had a 72% expected goals rate at 5-on-5 according to Natural Statric. He was absolutely incredible. And to see, you know, yes, he had Dry Settle on his line, but you could see Dry Settle was not 100%. He was not moving well. And it's also amazing that Dry Settle 50%, you know, 50% strength is better than most forwards at creating offense still. So it's not like saying he was useless on that line, but Connor McDavid did it all. I found the lineup decision a little perplexing to go 11 forward 7D, not because I think it's smart to double shift McDavid in this kind of game. This is the kind of game you want the best, one of the best players in the league to play. But like, Dreisaitl was the reason I was like, eh. So sorry, Kings, but you know, you're building for the future. Good luck in the future. And it's true. The Kings are a little bit ahead of schedule, and good for them. I mean, they they were the upstart. Sarah pointed them out as a team to watch. They almost did it. Mm. And they're on the rise versus going the other way. I think it's good they (laughs) went to a game seven. They got to learn. My kids got to (laughs) learn. And also, they had no Victor Arvidsson, and it was Dustin Brown's last game. So, like, that was, like, a big moment. It does suck to go out at game seven. And he didn't get that, like, farewell tour because he didn't announce it till. The very end. I don't think did anyone see it coming before he announced it. Like you know. No, I don't think so. I mean, you always wonder, right? But you never know. Yeah. yeah. Well, there was one series that was close to your heart, Shayna, in particular, crossing over between teams you used to root for, one of them, and that is <laughs> Rangers Penguins. They go into this final game three three. This was. On the surface, an epic collapse by the Penguins, who had a 3-1 series lead and end up losing in overtime. Thanks to, oh, hey, thanks for showing up, Artemi Panarin, with an (laughs) overtime goal. Um, Crosby comes back from injury. Shesterkin was amazing. Uh, Lots of controversy about a penalty late in the game. To me, I, I don't know. I was fine with the play. That's my take. But Shayna, you've covered the Rangers for so long. Your thoughts on Rangers, Pens, and the Rangers advancing to round two. The Rangers are super lucky to have Igor Shesterkin and to have peak Igor Shesterkin for this game. There was a lot of talk about his play this series when that should not have been the focal point. It should have been the team in front of him. He came in hot with two absolutely outstanding games and then struggled a little bit in games three and four. Um, But he had legitimately no team support. And then last night you saw he didn't have as much team support and was still what the Rangers need him to be. And it was right off the bat. He was really incredible for them. So he held them in the game that maybe they didn't deserve to be in based on the way they did not generate offense yet again, especially, you know, they didn't generate offense against Louis Domingue, a third string goalie. They didn't generate enough offense against Tristan Jari, who just came back from injury. Um, Artemi Panarin, you know, welcome to the postseason. He, I do want to say, though, he got hurt at the end of the regular season, and obviously coaches are not going to give you much on that. They're going to say, like, oh, it's nothing, or, oh, they would have been fine. If this was a playoff game, he would have played. I think 
Panarin at half strength is better than a lot of forwards, but you can see there's something going on with his game. And I don't think it's, oh, the playoff choke narrative. You know how good he was in Columbus. So I think people just weren't watching him then. The player who really shined too was Mika Zibanejad. Yeah. Who's been matched up against Crosby. Like this whole series got absolutely buried by that first line. And he came to play. And it was important that, I think it was before game six, he said, we're not playing our to our strengths. We're not playing you know offense like we should. We're so focused on playing defense against them. And uh, I do think it's funny that it took six minutes left in the season for the Rangers coaches to actually make adjustments. And the adjustments helped by moving players like Kopp. And last game, it was Mott to that top line because Frank Vetrano is an offense-only player. And this is a line going up against Crosby. So, um, And I do think it's important they beat them with Crosby in the lineup. Sarah, your thoughts? Yeah, the Mika Zibanejad show that I just watched uh, has me scared for the Canes. That's about it. I mean, I'm thinking about the future, of course. I'll I'll reflect on the past. That was a very big toss-up to me, that whole series. It was kind of a weird series. It was a kind of intense series. Um, Could have gone either way for sure. And I think the Rangers are a better matchup for the Canes, thinking of the future, but I know those statements can make you put your foot in your mouth. I know that better than anyone. So we will see, but I do think Igor, I don't know. What do we think about Igor? I mean, he's outstanding. Yeah. He's good. Is that enough? (laughs) It's, it's not enough. He can, a goalie can steal games. A goalie can steal a series. The Rangers know that firsthand. Look at the Henrik Lundqvist era. He has Mm. stolen them series. But a goalie can only get you so far if you give them nothing. And against the Hurricanes, this is a much better 5-on-5 team than Pittsburgh. And Pittsburgh was great, especially, again, that top line. And Malkin was really good, too. But, like, the Hurricanes, we've seen, if the Rangers get past them this season, it was outstanding goaltending. So it's it's two totally different 5-on-5 styles. Well, there was a lot of good goaltending in that series. But I don't think I've actually enjoyed a goaltending performance more than what we watched in the final game seven of round one. And I'll tell you what, it finally paid off. This series had not impressed me. I was kind of disappointed in Calgary. It was going to game seven between Dallas and the Flames. And the Flames put up over 100 shot attempts. And Jake Ottinger not only was turning away pucks, but his ability to see pucks respond to them and keep that game through to overtime was insane. I didn't expect Dallas to win. I don't think Dallas deserved to win. But what a game. What a series. Sarah, Dallas-Calgary, what do you take away from those seven games? It's just funny. I take away how fickle it can be, I guess, if that's the correct word. Because Jake Ottinger let in nine goals on 49 shots in um, the AHL. And then he's stopping the second most pucks in in NHL game seven history so it just goes to show you never really know how things why am I keep I'm couldn't get away out of rhyming there um but that was awesome that's why we watch that's why we care um good for him I don't know what his future is going to be in net but I think he has earned himself a few more looks in the NHL (laughs) Shayna yeah, I think we knew going into it, but, uh, Dallas was a top line, a number one defenseman, Miro Heiskanen, who was fantastic yesterday, and their goaltender, Jake Ottinger, who's been incredible all postseason. I mean, there were 63 shot on, shots on goal, and he faced 97 unblocked shots in all situations. Like, that, those numbers are really crazy. And he, 
he, like you said, it was the way he was, you know, behind traffic, he was making these stops and second chances and third chances because his team did leave him out to dry a lot. And the way he played and he was really controlling his rebounds, which is so important too, to kind of stop the chaos that was happening. And then he would get up and the way he just tosses the puck out of his glove. Um, he was, he impressed the hell out of me. And I do wonder too, like what would that game have been if they had Rupe Hintz, really important player to be missing. Um, in Calgary, like it, they were not consistently that top level team that they should have been in this series. I know Dallas is a good defensive team, but I feel like Calgary should have been better. And in game seven, like they gave it their all at least. So it's not like they were going out on a low, they got lucky. Like they literally gave it their all and just faced, you know, a really, really, really hot goalie. Well, it was some amazing hockey. And as Sarah discovered for us last night, now the Flames are going to go to Nona's for some pasta. Is that what they're going to do? <laughs> Andrew Mandapane. <laughs> Well, friends, that's our look around round one. We are going to be back with you tomorrow morning with a round two preview to set up the stage for the games that start Tuesday night. But we end every episode with, of course, fuck, Mary kill. And as we bid adieu to eight teams officially, we wanted to go through fuck, Mary kill these three teams off seasons. And Sarah, I'm going to have you go first. You ready? Mm-hmm. Okay, here we go. Fuck, Mary kill the off-seasons for Boston, Pittsburgh, Toronto. Uh, I'm killing Boston because I don't want to believe that this is happening. I just saw a tweet that said Chris Wagner said Patrice Bergeron texted him every week when he was in Providence checking in on him. We love Patrice and Chara, and the leadership's gone in Boston, and it's the end of a fucking era, and I am getting old. Landslide by Fleetwood Mac, please play. And then I am going to marry Penguins offseason because I'm ready for that to go away, right? Like, I'm just, I'm ready for that dynasty to end. Um, I don't really even know what question marks they have. I am going to fuck the Leafs. Because I want to see them blow it up. And I won. I just, I'm actually very curious on what they're going to do. What do you guys think? Shayna, Boston, Pittsburgh, Toronto offseason. FMK go. I'm going to kill Boston's situation, uh, especially because, like, if Bergeron leaves or if anyone leaves, like, they don't have a very inspiring prospect pool that, like, I don't know where they're going to go from here. And then you have Poshnok's contract to deal with and the Jake DeBrusque situation. So I just, I don't want to touch that. I'm just going to kill it. Um, I'm going to fuck the Penguins situation because I do think there's something fun. Even if the core leaves, like, this is a team that's going to have a shit ton of cap space. Like, it's, it's Malkin, it's Rust, it's Latang. There's so many expiring contracts. But on the other hand, it's like, you, you still have to fill out those, those holes. And you can throw anyone with Sidney Crosby and see if they're good. Sure. But, eh, you know, it does their, that's an aging core and you're going to have to figure it out. And I will marry the Maple Leafs because that situation is fucking chaos. There's enough to keep you entertained forever and honestly I do like the core and I think that everyone now is going to be super dramatic on like blow it up blow it up but you could run it back they're getting better every year their roster construction did impress I think that there's a couple questions like maybe in net and there are things to do and sure it's going to be a little bit tougher given the cap situation but in today's league that's the situation you should be navigating you should be navigating the situation where your best players are paid like your best players and it's all about accenting the team around it and they actually have some prospects so I'll marry that situation. Well, I am also marrying Toronto because, I, listen, again, I am not trying to pile on, but you guys, this is the gift that keeps giving. Like, you just, it, it is just 
amazing that this keeps happening and to watch what's going to happen is going to be fascinating to watch the angst <clears throat> and the reactions is going to be fascinating so i'm marrying that i want it around all the time i'm living for it right now mm -hmm. um i'm going to actually kill pittsburgh uh just because having formerly been in the metro just as you two still are i'm over it yeah <laughs> we get just, it you're good yeah, exactly exactly and you know you got good because you got two really solid picks two years in a row so let's move on and I'm going to fuck Boston because I think that, you know, we've, if we really were paying attention and being honest, we've seen this kind of coming for a while. Sarah, you talked about it, but now the reality, this is like the reality hit, right? And we haven't really talked a lot about what they're actually going to do. So I'm here to fuck around and see what happens with Boston. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, my friends, as I mentioned, we'll be back tomorrow with a round two preview in the meantime, don't forget you can follow us on Twitter at two underscore much underscore man. You can check out our website at too many men There's new merch up there. There's beverage holders. There's coolers, tumblers, everything you can need for your claws or otherwise. And until we talk again, be good to each other. We love you so much. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>